film sucks Indie film sucks It's the Indie Film Sucks Podcast Yeah from the mean streets of St. Louis from a basement on South Broadway the Indie Film Sucks Podcast Indie Film Sucks all day every day twice on Tuesday it sucks all day every day huh? well not every day <laughs> alright alright what's your suck my, my suck is you're always asking me for the first suck <laughs> that's my job <laughs> I just uh, look at you I'm not It's well you know we, we do always talk about the suck because there, there is quite a bit of it, but there's also a lot of non-sucking, which is which is pretty cool. So I want to say a non-suck. Is that cool with you guys? I'm gonna go there too. Okay. It, are you, okay, great. The non-suck is when you get a call from Chris saying, "Hey, I got another role for you," or "I got a, another script for you to read." That's the cool part, and the suck part of it sometimes is. Uh, we can't shoot this movie right now. <laughs> That's the suck part of it. If there is a suck in what I have to say today. Ah, I, I'm with you 100% on that one. I, I think uh, I don't really have a suck, but you know what doesn't suck? What's this that? podcast. I'm, I'm impressed by what we're pulling off oh, here. Yeah? I, mean, I'm, I mean, I'm tooting our own horn here, but... Um... I, I, you know, for guys, three guys that's never done this before. At least three people like it. I mean, you got one stage actor and a couple couple independent film guys and me trying to come up and uh you know we're uh it, it's pretty good actually so but brock on your point going from there it's yes that is not a suck is we're working on a couple scripts now right we got things in the hopper and mm. everything else and then you got to sit down and go when are we making these my suck well i guess it's kind of in tune with what brock was saying having lots of ideas that can't be made it sucks because of budget limitations there's been story ideas i've been sitting on for 20 years we're, we're, we can't afford to make, you know, bigger stories in Rhineland. Uh, lots of things I would love to do that we can't afford to do because, you know, the, the money's not there. Yeah. That and, sucks. Yeah. And even that's funny because even when you do set a project a little higher, you start getting some money for it, something out of your control like COVID hits, right? Yeah. We talked a little bit about that earlier because we were well on our way to making the biggest movie we've ever made. Yes, it's, it's coming. And, and I know it's still coming. It's, it's still coming. coming. It's it's not, but we were on right. the way to making it made. And that's right. Yeah, that sucks. What do we got? Uh, we finished up Rhineland Game of the Year last week. Uh, what What's next on? Our fourth feature film, Sound of Nothing. Yeah. Which did not start out as a feature film. Well, no, it did not. I remember no. reading the well, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, it was a web series. Was. Uh, this was 2010, so everything else, Rhineland was behind us, Game of the Year, that was 2008, 2009. 2010, new decade. I, I had never done a web series. I thought, this could be cool. And I had two or three other writers, and each of us uh, broke down this 10-episode web series, mm-hmm. and it was pretty good. I mean, we've already done, we've done a couple of features, done a mockumentary, so how about, you know, the fourth big thing we're going to do, well, let's do a web series. What changed all that was the cinematographer that we got. Because I was friends with the editor, and she was friends with the cinematographer. She introduced me to this guy, and he was really good. He was easily the 
the most talented cinematographer I had worked with, and probably one of the most I've ever worked with. The guy just really got it. He was a commercial shooter. He'd, okay. he'd done a lot, everything in the commercial world, all sorts of short-form stuff. And that's how he made his bread and butter, and he was making good money doing it. He'd never done a feature. So up to this point, are, have you worked with the same cinematographer? It was different for each feature. Okay, but this is somebody else bringing somebody in, right, that you didn't necessarily handpick? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and I knew after my last experience on Game of the Year, like, okay, I, I did okay. I mean, I could shoot a documentary-style movie, but I did not want to handle this next thing. I wanted it to be very cinematic and beautiful, and I think I'm, I wasn't capable of that, in my opinion. Yeah, we brought uh, brought this guy in. He immediately said, I don't want to do a series. I want to, Let's make this into a feature. Oh. And honestly, it, it read like a feature anyway. It, it the way did. you guys had it written, from what I could tell. Because that, that was my idea as well. And the editor, she also said, yeah, let's, let's turn this into a feature film. And let me tell you, taking a 10-episode web series and turning it into a feature film is not as easy as it sounds. It wasn't just, oh, put them all together and it works. Like, fuck no. Okay. No, so, it, so it reads well, the story's cohesive, there's all these things, right? But now you got to make it into... A, a feature. This was 2010 uh, when the, the DP and the editor were involved. So it took me the rest of that year and the following year to turn that from a series into a feature film. Wow. And I didn't even know how I was going to make it work. It worked great as a 10-episode deal, but as a as a feature film, the story, it they, they are vastly different. What I started out with and what we ended up with. Couldn't be more different things, which was fine because we use that time to raise for us a respectable budget of twenty four thousand dollars. See, so we started this movie with twenty four thousand in the bank. First time we'd ever done that, and we needed every penny. (laughs) Yeah, we sure did. No, and was it a testament on your past stuff? I mean, as we kind of moved through this journey and stuff, right? Exactly. So the money started coming. I think that's important for people to understand that. It still work, but if you stay with it and you start doing things, you get a little bit of a name and a reputation. Yeah, that that good things will happen. And this was when Brock became an unofficial sort of business partner in eighty eight millimeter. Right. So you after we had looked at the script and talked about it, and you had your your key players as far as production side already nailed down. We had sat down a couple of times and talked about how to produce it and actually raise money. This was definitely going to be the first feature that I really is actually finding money for. Yeah. And we broke it down to where we we knew we didn't have to spend a bunch of money. And like I said before in one of those earlier episodes about you could probably bounce back from a 10000 Well, you know, $24,000, $25,000 was not tough to bounce back from either. No. So I, I decided to go on, on board with it. And uh, obviously he wrote a a part in it for me. Yeah. I was not the lead actor in this movie, which is which is fine. We had a, a really talented actor. Robert Strasser, yeah. So you were taking on more responsibility, though, because I wasn't involved in this movie. I came out and played a few days and yeah. did some extra no, stuff. No, I cut and... my teeth uh, as far as wearing multiple, multiple hats on, on Sound of Nothing, from raising money, logistics, uh, making sure food is on the table for all the actors and, uh, and the crew, just all the hats anybody would need to wear. To try and take more load off of Chris. Yeah, because this was your first producer credit, I believe. As an executive producer, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you're starting to get more into the business side of things, taking some of the stuff off Chris's plate. Right. So I'd been on lots of other sets off and on throughout all these years of 88mm making their movies. I'd been involved as an actor and associate producer in other films. Okay. So uh, I had some connections with other actors and other other people and saw how they handled 
their shit and uh, learned what to do and what not to do on some other sets. And, and obviously I'd worked with Chris on everything he's ever done. So <laughs> we had for some reason I keep coming back wow. and, and stupid. So yeah, I just, I knew, I knew we'd work well together. I didn't have any issues with, with having to worry about Chris not completing a film. Right. You know, that's, I knew he, that's, yeah. I knew he'd get it that. done. I knew I'd get it done. Uh, so I thought it was a pretty good partnership. It was before I came on to 88mm film. I think you hit on something I just want to ask you guys, because, again, this is, this, is a, this is a time in our history where I'm kind of away. I don't even know what I was doing. I wasn't acting or doing movies somewhere else or doing anything else. I was just kind of friends with you guys, but wasn't really involved. But... You know, you were saying that you you've been on other people's sets mm-hmm. and you had this other, you know, because you were an actor, you were picking up other roles That's and right. stuff like that. I wanted to ask Chris, going, who did you pick up things from? Like, who did you? I know Stanzi was a big influence in what you did. Were you on other sets, like drawing from how to take some of that onto your set? Not really. I mean, okay. there wasn't really any time. Okay, I and mean, I was either busy working my day job and then doing this and all the other available time. So. I, so how did your sets, because the day one I walked on them, they were always run like a movie set. I didn't know what a movie set was, right? But I assumed that that's what it was, and that's that's pretty much now that I've done it a while. It, it is what it is, right? Well, the experience did, of the people that I've been working with for years. Okay. I mean, a lot of the crew came from Rhineland. So you know, they went through that, you know, three years. <laughs> if they could make it through that shit. Went yeah. through that three-year yeah. hell. They, yeah. they, they worked they on... They a gold star just for... Yeah. Well, I mean, you have always set this standard of professionalism on your sets right yeah and you've always had that it's always just gotten better as you can provide more things as money comes in it just increases the the respect and the professionalism never changes it's just maybe the spread's a little bit better for the food sure. or we have a few more grips or we have a few more things i was just always impressed well, everybody sees the blue collar grit that that i think 88 millimeter still has today everybody just pitched in and and most of them did more than what they're supposed to do. You know, it does take leadership with Chris and uh, other people on the set, like a good DP and uh, other producers and other actors stepping up. So uh, it's just a really good group of people that we just keep working with. On a low-budget indie, everybody has to step up and, and do multiple jobs. If if they don't, they're not going to last. Nope. Yeah, we've had some really great, uh, call them kids, because some of them right out of college are still going to college uh, being PAs and, and and some of them advance pretty quickly. Some of them leave very quickly. No, oh, hey, you said yeah, you <laughs> that, said that. That's, about... that's the advice I give to anyone who's looking to start out in filmmaking. Get on sets, work on sets, work as a PA, and if you bust your ass, people will notice you and they will promote you. Absolutely, right. yeah. I, I think that's important. I mean, we had that young lady that worked on um, Red Night, Red Night of Skies. That's shit. She's making her living now, exactly uh, as a PA. Yeah, and she's she... going from gig to gig because she kicked ass. She'd never worked on a film set before. Uh, a friend, uh, an associate producer on this film, recommended her. I said, "Okay, well, we'll try her out." Because I've heard that hundreds of times. Oh, so and so would love to work on this movie, and you know, you should bring out someone. Okay, fine. Look, man, I will take anybody on a film <laughs> set, right? And I, I will give you enough rope to hang yourself with. If you show up and work, fucking A. Right. But if you just want to show up because you thought oh, it's going to be so much cool, and it's like, man, making a film is hard-ass work. Yeah. It really is. So that's why so many people burn out and, and, and quit, because it's not all fun. It's mostly not fun. It's mostly work. Right. Well, let's get back to Sound of uh, Nothing here. All right. So, so anyway, I, yeah. yeah I, so I, Sound I, of Nothing, we decided, okay, it's going to be a horror film. Absolutely. We're going to make a horror film because horror sells. Let me repeat that because horror sells. 
It's one of the few independent genres that sell. They're very loyal fans. Yeah, very loyal very fans. Very loyal fan base. The other thing we thought, Brock and I sat down, so we need to have a name actor in this movie. Mm. We need to have a name, play the villain. The trouble was, we did not have enough money to pull that together. And that that's what every independent film has trouble with. You need money to get the actor, you need the actor to get the money. Yeah. It's a catch-22, it's a goddamn loop, it's hard to break. So we were going to hire a couple of working actors, great actors in, ho- in Hollywood, mm. who have been on some shows, but they're not names, and... Right, yeah. So I'd done a few few things with some recognizable faces, and we were in contact with them. We decided, I think what you're getting ready to talk about, we decided, is their name really big enough to, I guess, how much money are we going to pay them? Are we, we going to get that money back because of their name? How that happened was, you know, I was talking to Eric Stanzi of Wikipixel Cinema. What do you think, Eric? We're going to hire these guys. Well, they're Hollywood actors, so they're kind of names. They've been in some known shows. Mm-hmm. And he says, Greg, they're not names. They're working actors. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get bang any, for the buck. you're not going to get any bang for the buck. They're I'm sure they're great actors and they, they they are. They are. They don't have the name recognition so we we couldn't gas them. Right. We we could afford them. We could have raised enough money to afford them, but it, it I don't it would have made a difference if they were in it no. or not. No, so, I think that's key cuz now you're learning how to spend the money yeah. the proper way, right? That's we would have that would have been a burn. We would have paid a good chunk of money hiring some great actors. Sure. Whereas instead we used local actors who also did excellent work. And, and we had an opportunity to have a, a big fuck up and we avoided it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's key that you thought through it. You didn't rush to it and you didn't take some formula that's proven and insert something that wasn't proven, right? As, yeah. Cause just because they were working actors, you guys had to learn that and you reached out to people yeah. and you asked questions and you found out, and you didn't spend a bunch of money you didn't know. Even though, nothing against actors. Actors were probably really awesome. So we get rolling on Sound of Nothing, and we are five days into the production. Literally five days. Actually, on the second day of the production, there was almost a riot amongst the crew. Because <laughs> our stellar, incredible DP, who was very good, he took like six hours to light and set up one shot. What should have been a, a relatively quick and easy first day was like uh, twice as long as it should have been. It looked fantastic. It looked great. I get to set the next day, and I'm feeling pretty good, right? I'm in a good mood, like, man, you know, we finished the first day, here we are. And then the crew pretty much as a single unit bum-rush me, and they say, look, we're not going to deal with this bullshit. If he doesn't knock this shit off, we are fucking out of here. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't expect that at all. And that was like the, the key people on the crew told mm-hmm. me, like, look, we're not going to deal with this shit. Uh, this guy's a perfectionist. He's taking too goddamn long, and he's kind of fucking rude. Mm. And so I was like, oh, man. So I had to reassess everything. And honestly, on the fifth day of shooting, things pretty much came to a head. This is a great dude. He's, this is this is a talented guy. Okay, good but, way to put it. But very difficult to work with. Yeah, I saw that coming. So the... Uh... I guess the second weekend or third weekend we were getting ready to shoot because we were shooting those on weekends. Of course. Oh, yeah, it's independent film. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't think anything different. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we went to uh, the DP's house. and Wait a minute. Hold on. That sounds you, like you guys are going to go. You remember this, Greg? Yeah. Confront him. We no. Were, we, we were talking about how the scene should be going. And Chris is talking about the acting and the DP's trying to set up his living room. I understand what he wanted to do, but it's like he's he was pre-lighting his, his living room for, for something we're going to shoot at a whole other location. Oh. And Chris is just, like, he's, his face is getting red and everything. And 
I, I knew from there things weren't going to go very well. Everything that he worked on before, he had pretty much unlimited budgets, could do whatever he wanted to do, and a short time frame to do it in. So he's making a 30-second commercial. They can take 10 hours to do that. Correct. They do, and this would have been his first feature, and he wanted it to be perfect. Yes. I get that. Right. I totally get and, it. And I think that's the that's the key for... But he didn't understand independent filmmaking. No. Right. I'll give you I'll give you a good example. When we were location scouting, we scout out this very same diner that we shot in. Before we go in there... I said, okay, man, look, I have done a lot of on-location stuff, and you have to handle this a certain way because these people, they don't understand anything about filmmaking. They don't understand anything about what we do. So if we go in there <laughs> and we start throwing out film terms and we're walking around setting up shots, we're going to freak them out, and they're probably going to say, we don't want you to shoot here, okay? So just follow my lead. He's like, okay. We go in there, and he immediately starts setting up shots and talking about film terms. And I'm looking at him like he's crazy. And the owners of the place are looking at me and him yeah. like like we're crazy. Everything I just told him, he was ignoring completely. So I've got to go to the owners like, ah, eh, that's how camera guys are, man. They don't understand how this, how this well, crap works. I thought works. you were going to give him the bait and switch. You yeah. know what I mean? The, right. Like, oh, tell us one thing, you're going to do another thing, because I see crazy over here Yeah, already getting ready to... So I tear out tables. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, you know, glad hand them and 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 talk them off the ledge because they think, oh, is this this is more complex than it's gonna be. Because let me tell you something about locations. Shit always takes longer than you think. It always takes longer, and there is nothing worse than getting your location pulled, especially if you're in the middle of a shoot. I've been there, uh, where we've had to talk fast because they're getting ready to kick us out the door. I got tons of location stories. I've only been doing it for a little bit. So, yeah, that, I mean, it's nothing just, worse. Well, I mean, most of the time you get it when the business is closed, and guess what? It's going to be open the next day, so you got to get everything on that day. Yeah. I mean, it's just there's a ton so, of things with locations. Yeah. So anyway, so I knew we were going to have an issue, and sure enough, five days into the shoot, it's like, okay, we we can't do this. So our first assistant camera, he stepped up. He was technically the DP for the rest of the film, but honestly, great dude, great guy, older gentleman. He was actually a retired airline pilot, did a did a wonderful job for us, but he was not really a DP. He was right. a camera operator. Yeah. So for the first time, not counting game of the year, which I absolutely don't count, I had to function as a director of photography. I'm sort of the de facto DP, and I learned a hell of a lot on Sound of Nothing as far as framing, lighting, setting up shots, things I took for granted before because I had someone else to do it. I did. I learned a lot, too, because you'd always ask my opinion. <laughs> no, but it's such, like, such a great story for people to hear because I think that's, A, you made the tough decision. Yeah. And, and I don't care how much money you're talking about. It's the project, right? And nothing against this guy, and it wasn't a bad, right? It just wasn't the right fit. It just fit. wasn't the right fit. Right, for the vision, and, but you made the decision. We both kind of sat down together and said, yeah, we're not going to be able to do this. Right, independent film's fast pace. It is. You you get the shot, and you hope you got what you got. Sometimes you could take a little bit longer, but you plan the scenes that you know are the most difficult for the longest time. Yeah. And the easy stuff that you think's easy, nothing's easy, but the diner scenes, things like that, you're like, hey, i got a set amount of time here because i got to move on. Yeah. No, when we were shooting the final scene of the movie in this abandoned YMCA just outside was a, a Christian rock band playing in a park. Very last day of shooting. And, yep. and our actor was leaving for England, like the, literally like the <laughs> next day or something like that. And how many scenes did we have to shoot that last day? We had to shoot so many scenes. It was like 30. It was like 30 scenes. Yeah. And 30. I did, 
I didn't think we were gonna we were gonna get that yeah. done <laughs> at all because we had like two days to get all this stuff knocked down. We almost lost the location because a production assistant inadvertently insulted the owner of the building. She said something, and the owner took it the wrong way. Oh no! And I had to call her up, and I had to eat a mountain right. of shit. That's right. I from the owner, oh. I I had to. Oh my God, I just had to eat so much shit because we couldn't lose this location. Yeah. And I just had to apologize. I don't know. I don't know what was, you know, it was just. I remember the next day I did do the same shit. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. 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 I mean, it happens. I, it I happens. get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. some, if, if you're in a situation and you absolutely can't lose it, you've got to do everything you got to do to keep that location. Especially when you don't have a contract, you don't yeah. have signed paperwork, and you just you're just going. Yeah, and people are doing you favors, right? If if they throw you out, you're just boned. Yeah, we would have been screwed. So yeah, it, mm. everything came down to the wire to finish this movie, but we did it. We got everything done. We got the band shut down long enough for us to finish our right. That was the last shot that we were yeah. trying to get out too. But the movie, tell tell what the movie actually is and about a little bit. I like to say that Sound of Nothing is a post-apocalyptic father-daughter western. That's what I like to say. Chew on that for a second. Yeah, exactly. But it's a zombie movie. <laughs> but talk about uh, what happened with Sound of Nothing. Afterwards? After we finished, wrapped, and um, where does it go from there? Well, after we wrapped up Sound of Nothing, uh, we again did the, the local screenings. And uh, we, uh, we won a couple of awards locally. And we got into even more festivals than yeah. Game of the Year did. Uh, yeah. We we played in a number of festivals around the country. Mm -hmm. The biggest might have been the Freak Show Film Festival in Orlando. That was a great time. We went down there and uh, enjoyed the festivities for that showing of our film. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, it was uh, 2013. Cardinals were in World Series. Yes. Me and Brock and Robert, the lead actor, were the only Cardinal fans in this bar we were in with a bunch of Boston fans. Oh, we Boston. had a good time, though. We had a good time. We won the game. Yeah. Nice. One of the few we won in that series. But uh, yeah, the screening, man, this is, you're going to see this in so many screenings. This is what I what I mean when you, when you get in the festivals. Mm. So when your movie screen, when when the movie before your screen, it's packed with all the locals and they're watching this movie and everyone's excited and it's great. And then that movie ends and everybody fucking leaves. And then there's a handful of people left to watch your movie. And man, that has happened to me so many times. We get right behind the big local film that's going to be. Is that is that what is that the one yeah. where you said that all of a sudden it's like everybody left to go see the big it's local film and then yeah. it's happened a couple times. Yeah, yeah, where everyone is in the theater to see the big local movie, and then they show our movie, and everyone leaves. Yeah. Everyone leaves before ours start. Yeah. And then tell them about the screening on this one, actually. Oh, man. This is, this is heartbreaking. Again, I've had, I've had so many bad screening experiences. Sound of nothing, the, the, the audio was out of sync. Uh, oh, that is nothing worse than that. We, the whole goddamn oh, thing. That would just drive me yeah. nuts. It was horrible. Oh, yeah. God bless it. And the picture didn't look that great. <laughs> it was, they, I don't know what the picture looked muddy, the projection, the audio was out of sync, just, just enough to just make you want to kill yourself. <laughs> they made this cool film look like a student film. And, and oh, Brock and I are sitting in the back, just kind of moaning and groaning. And, <laughs> oh, I was so embarrassed. Ah, uh, me too. I was like, I just let's just leave. Let's just leave. Because we've seen it on big screens. No, right. I right. mean, obviously, yeah. you wouldn't have released it if it wasn't right. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, that's that's part of the but gig. We still won an award there, so what the hell? 
We did. Yeah. Robert won Best Actor Award. Yeah. No. We it's, also it's... came with something else. Oh, you mean uh, the offer? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. It's so like a Seinfeld uh, episode, the offer. The offer. Yeah. We uh, maybe based upon the fact it was in Freak Show and we won an award. We were in some other festivals because. It, we didn't really know what to do with Sound of Nothing. It's like, okay, we made this horror film. We're going to look for dis- distribution. Because self-distribution didn't work for us first. No. Right. Self-distribution di- self went right down the shitter. Right. So we're like, well, we're not going to do that again. Mm. Absolutely not. I said, okay, we don't have a web series, so we're going to go back to what we know, which is distribution. <laughs> so we uh, we got an offer from a company, and I talked to uh, Stanzi. I said, what's your opinion on this company? You work with them on your film, Deadwood Park. He said, not good. They did not do good for me at all. They will get your film out there, but you ain't going to make any money off of them. At least the movie will get out there. And I'd, I'd rather that the movie is out there than... This is what I used to... I don't think that anymore. I'll tell you that much. No, right. no, absolutely not. But at the time, I thought I would rather have the film out there for people to see, even if we're not making any money. To make you legitimate. Yeah. Which does matter, actually. No, I, I think there's a, a, a balance to it. There know? is. A yeah. negative fucking balance. <laughs> it's a negative <laughs> yeah, balance. Yeah, that's a good play on words. Yeah. No, I, I think there's a, there's a balance to people that it's like, did you make the decision because you came off self-distribution and it, it didn't work and you're tripping over boxes of absolutely. DVDs? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. What, yeah. what, what other options did we have? Except yeah. for maybe look for other distributors who were going to fuck us anyway the same way. Most yeah, well, I just look at what we know now oh, yeah, because of your experience. Yeah. And I can come in and interject some of my business sense into certain things that you guys, right. but you guys are drawing from all those stories. Yeah, this was 10 years ago. This was 2013. And all those experiences, right. I think that's key for people to understand mm-hmm. that. We did not do a full due, due diligence no. for sure. Well, here's what uh, a lot of distributors, this is pretty much par for the course, is they are all on top of you until they get the deliverables. Oh, sure. Until they get the picture, until they get all the all the assets they need. They're on the, they're emailing you every day, talking on the phone. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's everything coming along? Can you send us that drive? Can you send us this blah, blah, blah? They are your best buddies. And then once they have everything... And definitely once that contract is signed, signed, it's like they ghost your ass. Mm-hmm. Who are yeah. you? Yeah. Why you? Then, then you can't get anything out of them. That's not a fucking thing. And that's that. this is par for the course. I mean, this is more often than not this happening to independent yeah. filmmakers. Yeah, right. No, I think it, it, that's, it really sucks. And I think it's going to be fun when we get to that process again. It's oh, not yeah. happening to us again. On the, no, no, no. But it's going to be fun. Because we're so much more educated in it, mm-hmm. we've been. You, I think you have to have those bad experiences, and hopefully, it doesn't cost you a ton of money. Yeah, this and is get, the big suck, the and, biggest suck, and get you about. out of the industry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, I hope it doesn't hurt you enough where you get out. Right. Well, then, sometime I don't know when it was, 2014, 2015, something like that. Get an email when it's because the, the release took forever. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get information like when is this going to release? We can't promote anything. If we don't know when it's coming out, and then nothing, 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 and finally it releases, and I get an email from my point of contact. And he's like, "Hey, great news! Uh, it's streamed for over five hundred thousand minutes, like a really large number, huge number." And it's like, "Wow, that's great!" And then they said, "Hey, for some of our better performing filmmakers, we like to partner up for projects. If you have mm-hmm. anything else in mind, we like to talk to you to the tune of you know ten to twenty thousand dollars, which is nothing." For making a movie, right? They want to partner up, whatever, whatever, whatever ghastly <laughs> uh, deal that would be. Yeah, and Chris called me and we talked about it, and I, 
I said, well, that's great. Where's our first fucking check? Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> right. Like, sure, give us the money that you said it's already made. And then it's, oh, well, it's gotten eaten up with this cost and P&A cost and blah, mm. blah, blah cost. Like, everything... Everything is eaten up by a cost. Yeah, but you didn't have any other outlets at that time either, though, right? The world wasn't how it is now. Not quite. With all those other... We got tons of options now, right? I mean, with Tubi and and all this... No, Tubi and and all that jazz didn't exist. Right. But Amazon did. But they still controlled every single thing about what would happen to that movie. Yeah. In order to get on those platforms, you had to go through somebody, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you yeah. couldn't put it up there yourself. I mean, you might have been able to put it up on Amazon yourself. Hell, maybe even Netflix in the beginning. But, yeah, yeah. But we didn't, and we uh, we definitely paid a price for that. It should have been decent money for back then. No, I now it's he was telling you the right stuff. It's yeah. just they it, it all leaned their way. Yeah. yeah, they just you know weren't paying, weren't giving any reports. Every time they would respond, oh, in two weeks you're going to get a check. In two weeks, you're going to get a report on how many times it's been viewed and right. get a breakdown. We knew it was going to be bullshit. Right. They shut you up. But they at least should have. But they yeah, eventually, we uh, you know, got a lawyer and right. rattled sabers, and you know, they cut us a little check for a, a few grand. And you know, I, I think uh, think altogether, we might have gotten $3,000 out of it. It paid for a lawyer fee. Actually, probably not even that much. Yeah. Right. But that's a very common theme with with independent film and distributors and, and everyone is, is in a rush to get, get that legitimacy, get that film and distribution without thinking about these ramifications we're talking about. They're right. And the good thing about sound of nothing is we get the rights to that movie back in, in next year. year. Next so year. how many years was that? 10 years. Okay. Yeah, See, that's, that's another thing. I think that's what people don't understand you had to make the mistakes. You had to. I think you had to go through that journey. Or we would be making them now, per se. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, because you have that experience. At the time, I didn't even care. I said, "Yeah, ten years, whatever. Let's just sign it." Otherwise, you know, because we're not going to go through the self-distro experience again. At that time, right. It didn't work. The shame of it is when you go with the distribution company like we did. If they would have been upfront, we'd give them business again. We right. would have probably partnered with them and said, "Hey, you guys are doing great. We'll keep putting out content. You guys keep putting us on platforms." We got a great partnership here. Yeah, that's they. So for however much money they screwed us out of, sound of nothing. I'm looking at how much money they're going to miss out on all the other shit we're doing that they're not going to get a dime from. Yeah, that's 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 the whole. That Isn't should that be crazy? the whole point of this thing. Yeah, is everybody makes money, right? And, and and the people at the top, the people control it, make a little bit more, and that's yeah. fine, right? But with so many distributors, it's they 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 kill the goose that laid the golden egg. That's right. That's the really sad thing. If everybody was honest. Everybody could be making money, right? Not just a handful of people. The people who are making money, the distributors who are making money by screwing over people, they could be making more. Well, the market would dictate whose films got picked up because yeah. you have the right formula, or it was just a good film. Because there's a lot of good films out there that there are should get picked up. Certain genres, right, sell better than others. Yes, and I get that as a businessman from a distributor standpoint. I'd be like, no, I know what sells. You give me these three things, and now your movie's got a shot. Okay, now I know I got a legitimate shot because he's an honest man. You're just not getting that. Yeah, and and you know, and it's not that every distributor screws over every filmmaker. No, no, no. Some filmmakers just don't make sellable movies. You could make a very good That's movie too. It just it's just not marketable. If you make a you know an art house avant garde picture that doesn't have elements that the general population wants to watch, it's going to be a tough sell. And it's not necessarily the distributor's fault. Unless unless it's something. For your certain group of people, and you know, and you got millions of people following you, 
and it's just for them. That's perfect, but most of the time it's it's not. So you finally get something that's decent, you you pay your dues, um, and you're like, man, I made something good. That's what the guy told me to do. The guys on the podcast said, hey, I need to do this, this, and this, and then all of a sudden you get screwed by distribution. Well, you know, I've I've read not not so much nowadays, but when I was starting out, I read so many books on filmmaking, independent filmmaking, and the whole process, and almost all of them were like punk rock, make art. But that's kind of horseshit. Almost none of them talked about, like, okay, what do you do after you make it? How do you sell it? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you market it? They, you know, they, they didn't tell you that, hey, the distributor, they're not going to market your film. That's going to fall on your shoulders. How that's, do you do that? That's a good point. You know, and that's still something we're, tro- we're still trying to figure out is how do you market films? How do you market independent films that nobody cares about? But you know what we've done? We've slowed down. And we wait till we understand it to the best of our ability before we do anything. That's that, true. That's that's the lesson we learned. Yeah, and now there's other podcasters in the same boat as we are um, that are really trying to knock this out of the park as far as, as trying to get people to understand what, what is a good deal, what's a bad deal. There, there's just there's a lot more information now because now these predatory guys uh, were they're getting put in a spotlight for others to see. And I think it's great. Yeah, we got their number. Got their number, baby. Yeah, baby. We're coming for you. I guess. Uh, yeah, let's 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 end on that note. <laughs> let's end on a positive note because you know, going forward, we're always going to be talking about the highs, the lows, the in betweens of true independent filmmaking on the Any Film Sucks podcast. Any Film Sucks Peace. on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, YouTube, Any Spotify. Film Any Film Sucks. <laughs> Indie film sucks. Indie film sucks. It's the indie film sucks. Pie.